This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again, and listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Hi, this is Stan, the guy with a big ol' exclamation point. You know what that means. And you are listening to The Tome. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Sam Dillon, filling in for Tracy. In this episode, we are, well, ironically, going to discuss one of Tracy's favorite things, which is art. And to make that possible, we brought in two of the nicest and most prolific of the D&D artists, Claudio Posis. Hi, how guys. Pro- how do you actually pronounce your name? Did I pronounce it right? Yeah, you did. Oh, hey, that's pretty good. Who knows? And Mr. Mike Schley. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, that that sounds fine. Awesome. Uh, 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 Don't let him get away with that. Mike Schley. (laughs) Mike Schley. I get so many different pronunciations. Like, ah, tomato, tomato. Very good. And it is great to have all of you here, gentlemen. Uh, Today we're going to talk about D&D art, but before we do, I want to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight. They're back, and since we're talking about art, my pick for this episode is the 1985 D&D art book available for only $35. Not bad since they used to list it for 60 uh, or over 60 actually, I think. It has a cla- it is, It's full of classic D&D art and well worth checking out, along with all the other great classics from noblenight.com. Be sure to let them know that you appreciate their sponsorship of the Tome Show. They always let me know when they hear it, and it helps make their decision to come back even easier. In an election year, gamers can be divided on almost every issue. Is it more important to support a small business or to have the convenience of buying your gaming products online? Do you play shiny new systems full of epic awesome or gritty older out-of-print games that make even the groggiest of nards quake with fear? In this economy, is it time to stock up on as many high-quality discounted gaming products as possible, or is it time to sell the old gaming products you aren't using anymore? We are divided on every important issue. So in 2016, you should support the store that lets you do it all. Noble Knight, a brick-and-mortar small business with a strong online presence that has new products and specializes in out-of-print, all at a price you'll love. And yes, they'll buy your old gaming products as well. Check out the incredible offerings at noblenight.com. Tell them the Tome Show sent you and help make gaming great again. We are back. So we're going to talk about art. And we figured who better to talk to about art than Claudio Posis and Mike Schley. So let's start off Lots by of saying... people, but they're here. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Uh, let's start off by figuring out why that is. Uh, Claudio Posis, who the heck are you? Um, 
I'm still trying to figure it out, but I'm, <laughs> well, I'm let's a not illustrator. Get too philosophical. From, I'm, a, I'm a, a wannabe illustrator from Brazil. Somehow I managed to get into this industry like 15 years ago, going on 16, with uh, the third-party uh, publishing uh, boom of uh, early third edition. And it's been a wild ride since then. Yep. Who, who are you publishing for back then? Uh, my first, my first uh, professional illustration gig was for uh, Fiery Dragon Productions. Hmm. I did the, the counters, the little one-inch square illustrations for an adventure called Nature's Wrath, which was co-authored by this guy named Mike Merles. I don't know if you heard about him. <laughs> <laughs> I, heard I that think name. I might have heard his name before. Yeah. No, we go way back. Those, those early days of, of uh, third edition were crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. So, so much stuff going on. I was at Gen Con in 2002 in Milwaukee, and just the amount of new publishers doing stuff for the first time, and everyone was uh, trying making stuff, uh, make stuff up as they go. Yeah. So as they went, and uh, like the Wild West of. Uh, yeah, it was. It was the Wild West. It was the the, the Oregon Trail, something like that. <laughs> you died of dysentery. <laughs> 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 a lot of people did. Yeah. Well, it's 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 tough work working in the art mines with uh, RPG publishers and uh, game companies. Yeah. So, Especially so let's... when you're starting up, because it's it's the the, the pay is really low. I'm not gonna mm -hmm. sugarcoat it, but uh, <laughs> for entry level artists, the pay is really low. You do it for the experience. It's la yeah. It's a labor of love, really. Yeah. Do you make a career of it? You can make a career of it, but you have to be really serious about wanting it, and you have to be really professional and want to get better uh, year after year. I've been doing this for but 15 you, years. Do you make a career of it? Yeah, I do make a career of it. Okay. It's my only job. Okay. Yeah. When Same did that here. start? When, when did art become your only job? I assume you didn't start off that way. Uh, I, I, I went to college for advertising, mm -hmm. so once I graduated, I worked in advertising for uh, six years, more or less, and won some awards and stuff like that. But uh, during my fifth year in advertising, which was around 2000, I got, 2001, I got the first gig at Fairy Dragon. And uh, I started working with them on a regular basis. Uh, during my my breaks in advertising, and it came to a point when I was making more money, uh, thanks to the currency exchange rate, uh, from RPGs than I was making from advertising. So uh, on 2002, uh, I decided to take the plunge and go freelance full time. And I've been doing that ever since. Okay. So let's let's switch over to Mike then. Mike Schley, who the heck are you? So I've uh, I've been with um, Wizard. I, well, I've been a freelancer for about uh, a little over ten years. I originally started in the role playing industry, working as an associate art director 
for Dungeon Magazine over at uh, Paizo. Sarah, <clears throat> Sarah Robinson, who's the uh, current, I, I think she's the senior, uh, senior art director or creative director over there right now. Um, she and I started at the same time when, uh, I, I guess we came on in 2004. Um, they were redeveloping Dungeon and Dragon magazines for, um, for publication. Um, they had split, uh, Paizo had split off from uh, Wizards of the Coast a couple of years before. And we were really sort of revamping the, uh, the print edition at the time. Um, I worked as an art director there for a number of years um, before I went freelance, and I just started picking up jobs right and left from uh, Wizards of the Coast. Um, the, originally, Wizards uh, had an in-house stable of cartographers. Uh, a fellow named Robert Lazaretti was running their map-making department um, on I've site. Heard of before. What was that? I think I've heard of him before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, it, it was kind of it was kind of incestuous in that I would send Rob uh, jobs for cartography so that he could do work for me when I was uh, working in Paizo because I was always looking for map makers and there really weren't a lot of really quality map makers out there. So I would send him as many jobs as he could take, and because I loved <clears throat> I loved making maps myself. Occasionally, he uh, found a slot to send a job my way, and um, I started picking up more and more jobs for him. He was doing more; he was doing a lot of jobs for me, and uh, I ended up having a long conversation with my wife about the whole situation because I was working 80, <laughs> 80 or more hours a week, and she told me I had to pick one or the other. <laughs> so, <laughs> after that sort of come to Jesus moment. I decided, yeah, it's a lot more enjoyable to be on my own schedule, like to be in my studio making art than to be in a office um, managing other artists and not be able to make art. So um, after, after a while, I went ahead and uh, gave notice, um, and I've been working for, as a freelance illustrator and uh, map maker for, ever since. I think that was in... 2005. Um, the before before I was working for uh, Paizo uh, back in 2000, I actually started working straight out. Of, well, in my senior year in college, I started working for a uh, company called Decipher, doing um, collectible card games for Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, Lord of the Rings, um, and that's when I really started working in the game industry. Although it wasn't the role playing uh, side, it was the collectible card side. Um, so all in all, I guess I have about 16, uh, 16 years experience in the game industry um, and about 11 years, 10 to 11 years um, experience as a full-time uh, illustrator okay. and uh, so, cartographer. I remember, I remember Mike uh, posting uh, some of his first uh, maps for Red Hand of Doom. Oh, my God. Uh, at the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, that... It, um, Red Handed Doom. And I, and was I complimented you because those maps on. were awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, although, like, I, I have a special place in my heart for Red Handed Doom in that it was the first really big mega adventure that I worked on. Stuff from that period of time, which, you know, that, <clears throat> that one, and for the um, first couple of years that I was doing it, I look back at my work and I just want to 
hide myself in shame uh, because there's so many things all. I wish I'd done better. Yeah, that 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 happens to all of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. So now that everybody knows who our two esteemed and prolific artists are, uh, I do want to point out, and Claudio's already started jumping in and doing this, uh, which is, I appreciate it. Um, we're talking about art, and the beauty of having two artists instead of just talking to one artist about this is that um, I, I'm not an art expert. Uh, I know what I like and, and that kind of stuff, right? So... Uh, the two of them, are, the two of you, I should say, are welcome to ask each other questions, too, because you know the craft a lot more and might have some more interesting things to ask that I wouldn't even think about. So gotcha. don't be afraid to jump in. Gotcha. Can, I, can, I, can I throw out a question for you, then? That, no. Uh, that, okay, fine. Sure you can. I'll just be sure you can, Sam. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just going to ask, um, so you, I was going to ask if you had any insight as to, you know, the differences between doing, you know, making art, creating art pieces for, like, gaming versus other industries? Well, Claudio, do you, do you want to speak to, um, uh, like, advertising art versus uh, fantasy or uh, Oh, genre? my God, advertising. Uh, no, uh, gaming uh, gives you much more free reign to express yourself than advertising. Because in advertising, everything is so much committee-driven that uh, what, go what goes out into the world is not what you created, it's what the client allowed to be born. Mm. It's, it's, it's a Frankenstein thing. <laughs> so if uh, you have, you're, you're proud of like 10% of what comes out. Mm. And in in, in 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 gaming, you you work with art directors that tend to appreciate and and uh, foster and and uh, give stuff to the artists to express themselves, and they choose the, the artist that best fits that illustration. So, you know, it's something that you're gonna enjoy making and gonna do well. Yeah, from what I've uh, one of the reasons that I didn't go into uh, advertising illustration was that from what I had heard from other illustrators, the illustrator doesn't really even get the job until the advertising agency knows exactly what they want to be uh, to be created. So yeah, the the nice thing about um, you know working in uh, the role playing game industry or the book publishing industry <clears throat> is that I mean the the client or the um, the art director sends you a brief and you sketch out ideas and sort of problem solve before you even start working on uh, finished artwork. Um, and as a result, yeah, you as the artist definitely have more say or have more of a creative vision or voice than um, in a lot uh, in a number of other uh, other jobs. My when I was first learning, um, when I was first in college, I actually worked for a medical illustrator as a studio assistant. Um, and one of the things that we were doing, <clears throat> or one of the things I was tasked with, was to create illustrations for courtroom documentation um, and court, like personal injury cases. And all, almost all the jobs that I worked on in that studio, it was very prescriptive. You know, it wasn't about storytelling. It wasn't about narrative. I mean, it was 
documentary, documentary evidence in a clear and, um, you know, attractive way, but, you know, it was very regimented and very, uh, very specific. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, you you mentioned you mentioned uh, that uh, when we we work on uh, gaming, the first thing we do is we sketch and we problem solve, mm -hmm. and that is probably my favorite part of this job. It's the problem solving aspect of it, because the the art director gives you the pieces, and you don't know what the final image of the puzzle is going to be, and you're trying to fit the pieces together into something that resembles an image. And mm -hmm. that problem-solving part is is a big aspect of what I like about this this career, about this job. When I was uh, when I was art directing for uh, Paizo, um, as an art director, that was probably one of the most enjoyable uh, parts of that job was just to see how different illustrators would approach um, would approach a brief. And the ideas that they would come up with, and you know, being that it was a monthly magazine, the um, turnover dates were kind of tight, so they didn't, you know, you you don't have as much time to work on a project as you would with a book. Um, so it was very fast, and you know, yeah. we'd get sketches in really quickly. But um, that that constant idea generation and problem solving uh, in a visual way was always really invigorating. Um, and I kind of think that that really helped me become a better artist working as an art director in that I, you know, had direct experience with how other artists worked, how they handled <clears throat> handled projects and uh, handled concepts, um, not to mention the fact that I realized really quickly what tended to piss off art directors, <laughs> so that when, <laughs> you know, because whatever pissed me off, I was able to kind of steer clear of that when, uh, mm. when I went, um, went into uh, illustration for myself. Um, yeah, it was... That, uh, that's that's a, a good uh, skill to, to develop early on. Yeah, I, it, the, the only thing that's kept me so active, and I've, I've published probably close to 3,000 images over the last decade for a variety of different publishers. But the thing that keeps um, art directors coming back to me is, um, well, being on time, <laughs> but uh, yeah. developing relations, developing long-term relationships with, um, with art directors is critical. And uh, communication, like clear communication, both with my clients and with my fans, one of the things that I've developed in the last year or two was a is a um, very strong uh, communication line with folks that appreciate my artwork mm. and whether that's um, chatting with uh, with folks you know, over social media or whether that it's responding to emails through my website as soon as I get them um, it's been nothing but uh, positive just staying uh, staying connected with um, with the people that you know make my life so much easier. Um, so yeah, in addition to uh, in addition to making art, you've got to be able to um, work well with the people that want that art. Otherwise, you know, you're just sitting in a room not making anything or not. Um, yeah, yeah, you have to you have to realize that you're part of of a team, and Absolutely. the art director isn't there to antagonize you. He isn't there to pick on you. He's there to get a job done. 
Yep. And it's a it's a very difficult art directing is a hell of a job. It's a very difficult. Very and, stressful. Uh, <laughs> very stressful. It's there's pressure coming from both ways, from R and D, from the artists, and the art director has to manage that middle ground. Mm -hmm. And the more the artist can uh, realize that he he is there to help the art director, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. The more uh, successful that partnership is gonna be. Yep. Because you're there to, you know, problem solve for mm -hmm. the art director. Yep. So I think um, people listening to this have gotten sort of a taste of it, but they might be curious. What is the if when you're say developing something or or creating something for Wizards of the Coast? There, there's a new book coming out. Um, they want maps, they want covers, they want art, in, interior art, they want a new cloud kill spell, illustration, whatever. Um, <laughs> what is like, like, the, like the new Curse of Strahd that's coming out. Exactly. Uh, so yeah. what, what is the, the process, step by step, from the first contact to turning in a final, a final piece of art and, and it being laid out and all that? Um, do you want me to handle this, Claudio, or do you want to hop in first? No, uh, you I'll go ahead it. with photography, okay. and I'll do the. So, the, the yeah. So typically, um, I've because I've been working with study client clients for so long, um, I haven't had to really go out and hunt down work um, for a while. So typically, my my regular art directors um, contact me well ahead of time uh, just to see what my uh, what my window of availability is. Uh, and for instance, like right now, I'm not taking any new projects until probably the end of the summer. Um, but they'll check with me to see if I have um, time available. And then once uh, once the active, active start date um, approaches, you know, they'll, uh, if it's, you know, something that um, requires a new contract, they'll uh, send me a contract, send me a brief, um, get any uh, any feedback I have on the paperwork, and then uh, I'll take a look at the brief, ask the art director, you know, to clarify anything that I might, you know, need clarification on. So if it's a map... Um, if there's anything that's obscure in the text or anything that's unclear in the sketch, um, then I'll, you know, I'll ask them to uh, sort of cl clear that up for me before I start sketching. And a lot of times I'll get, you know, as a map maker, I'll get rough ideas from authors. And authors, you know, they're great at writing, but they really don't <laughs> don't know <laughs> visually how to tell a story. So they might send me um, just a rough outline of a uh, of a world. Like for instance, there's a author that um, works for Little Brown and Company that uh, did a uh, did a project for last year, and in her rough um, sort of stick figure style out uh, you know map um, that she sent me. Um, that I used for a guide. She had uh, rivers going uphill and geographic <laughs> features that just oh, didn't work. And so I, you know, I had to have a you know long conversation with her in how to build that world effectively. And after after those conversations, um, the you know map sort of took a new took on a new life. Um, and then so. <clears throat> 
to make a long story short, once I get all the uh, all the information that I need, I'll uh, work out ideas, uh, work out sketches either on paper or directly in uh, in Photoshop. Um, send those uh, sketches to the art director if there's anything that uh, that needs to be worked out conceptually before um, I work on like the inks. So. If I'm incorporating symbolic imagery into borders or um, if I'm working out anything that the art director's not aware of that's going into the world that I need to run that by them and get feedback. But typically, once that's done, I'll go into, uh, into the file and start inking um, and then send the inks over to my art director for approval. They'll send me any uh, comments or edits they have back at that point. And then once those edits are taken care of, I'll do the uh, final colors, um, send off the final artwork for approval. There's another round of approval. Um, and if there are any edits to make at the last minute, then I'll do those then. But by the time I'm finished with the final artwork, typically, Edits are very minor at that point. Um, I work digitally, though, so I can make edits on the fly mm. very quickly, which is another reason why art directors like coming back to me is I make changes. I, I can make changes as soon as, uh, as soon as they point them out or as soon as they bring them up, which can kind of be a pain in the ass because writers are notorious for uh, making changes to stories in while I'm working <laughs> on the damn map. <laughs> no. So I uh, I've had to uh, redesign things because our you know writers have had better ideas or you know it, that doesn't happen too often. But um, I'm you know I just suck it up and uh, don't complain too much when uh, when it does. And then uh, I send off the final artwork. Uh, they approve it, and then uh, I get paid. Sometimes. <laughs> 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 yeah. Claudia, does your experience uh, differ yeah. from that? Yeah, since Mike uh, mostly works with maps, he gets the the sketches and all that, and I usually don't uh, because uh, the illustration, the whole uh, com composition, and all that, it's all up for grabs. Mm -hmm. So I usually get. Uh, an email uh, from one of the art directors, say Kate Irwin at uh, Wizards of the Coast or Zoe Robinson at Fantasy Flight, and uh, are you available for such and such a work? Can you handle this deadline and all that? And of course I say yes, and uh, I get uh, the contract and all that, and the art order comes along with the contract, and it's usually the, the cloud kill spell since you mentioned it. <laughs> oh, a human wizard casts a cloud kill spell on a bunch of bugbears. That was the extent of the of the art order. And I got the and I got the text for the spell. And uh, which I imagine you were already familiar with. Yeah, I was, I mean, but you're you're a gamer, right? So that gives you yes. an advantage in doing a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, my first uh, professionally uh, published work was actually uh, writing, designing stuff. I was published in Dragon Magazine. Oh, yeah? Right I remember before, that. Right before third edition uh, came out in the final second edition Dragon Magazine, I was published. I had a few druid spells published mm -hmm. there. So I started writing before I, I began illustrating. 
So um, yeah, when then, I first met you, I, when I first met you, I met you. I think I, I met you as a writer. Yes, I was started. writing stuff for Dragon Magazine, and it took me a while to get an illustrating job there. Because it was the the fourth edition Dragon magazine was online was all digital, and uh, I was writing stuff. I was I pitched some articles and they decided to run with one for uh, a cleric uh, uh, channel divinity for Sehanini the the moon goddess for fourth edition, mm. and then before that one was published, they asked me if I wanted to write one for either the sorcerer or the cleric and I choose the sorcerer and before that one got published they called me uh, I got an email from Mike Burles asking if I was interested in working in Heroes of Shadow so I wrote for Heroes of Shadow I wrote for Heroes of the Feywild before I started illustrating uh, for Dragon Magazine <laughs> Yeah, and I the first illustrating job I got was for an article that I wrote, which was uh, for uh, a character uh, rune priest for Oriental Adventures. What was so, it like working with that author? Jeez. No, yeah, that author sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I changed my art order for that one. I wrote <laughs> art order when I was writing the article. I had to write an art order as well. And... That they, made art art, they made you write an art order? Did they know you were the illustrator yet? I, wa I wasn't the illustrator yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was just a writer. And then Greg Buesland, when he got my, my article with the art order, he sent that over to Kate Irwin, who was art directing Dragon Magazine back then, and with a note that the author was also an, an artist and might be interested in doing the, the illustration for this article. So she decided to, you know, give me a shot. Mm -hmm. And she sent the art order my way. And I did the sketch following that art order. But before that sketch got approved or changed or anything, I had another idea that I wanted to do the illustration more like, you know, those class half pages that uh, William O'Connor did for fourth edition. And I sent that sketch over to Kate and she approved the second one. So my first job illustrating for Wizards of the Coast, I completely ignored the art order that was sent, <laughs> which I wrote. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You, but well, anyway, have you ever thought about um, working on your own uh, your own self-directed project, um, where you're the author, you're the uh, you're the artist, um, and maybe publishing yourself? Or? Um, I've always wanted to, mm -hmm. but uh, I have to, you know, do the the, the freelance illustrating to get you know, money for, you know, oh, yeah. paying paying for my family. Um, I was uh, just wondering food, if, it, food if you'd ever considered a side project for yourself. I, 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 I do have a side project that I want to publish mm -hmm. that I might publish at some point. Gotcha. If I do, gotcha. I might need maps, so I might talk to you oh, later no, on. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't need more work. That's. I wasn't trying to talk you. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> no, uh, uh, I have. I have some concept pieces uh, that I put up on my Facebook page yeah. with uh, elves and and gnomes and stuff like that. You know how I envision those mm. creatures, and I want to push that further. 
But uh, that always goes back into the into, on the back burner when work comes in. Yeah. Because you know, getting paid. The reason, really I, nice. uh, the reason I ask is that um, I'm actually working on a large personal project myself that incorporates maps, but it's a much uh, much broader approach to mm -hmm. art and narrative uh, storytelling, and that it um, utilizes a graphic novel format. Um, with uh, cover uh, cover artwork, um, interior landscape, and uh, scene illustrations, as well as character illustrations. Um, it's all my work, but uh, it's a way for me to tell a story that I've been working on in a uh, in an immersive way that can be incorporated into um, fantasy role playing games um, generically. Well, the story is not generic, but the locations can be. Um, Incorporated into your own home game. Yeah, that's 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 very similar to what I'm I'm thinking, mm. but I'm I'm thinking less of a, a narrative mm. and more of a sandbox thing. Gotcha. See, I you know? I I've got um, like my my backgrounds um, was as a uh, studio artist, um, basically painting like my training. Um, in school since I was a little kid was drawing and painting uh, both observationally and conceptually um, and so even though I've been making maps for a long time and I love maps and I was making maps when I was a little kid too the opportunity to tell compelling stories is what I really love and whether that's world building or narrative narrative fiction or um, visual <clears throat> visual linear narrative um, you know I find uh, I find so much about the fantasy and science fiction genres to be so uh, liberating in a lot of ways that I mean sure there's you know certain uh, certain things that identify the genre but the ability to play with uh, play with ideas and with um, uh, contemporary issues in that uh, in that uh, that world, uh, I find fascinating. Like Terry Pratchett's books are a great example of that, where you can you you have this world that you can build to uh, you know tell uh, tell stories in, but you know you can incorporate social critique or commentary or funny friggin yeah <laughs> funny contemporary inside jokes that you know only a few people might get but the people that get them are gonna fall out of their seat laughing because they know exactly what you're talking about you can't really do a lot of that outside at least as an illustrator outside of um, the uh, the realms that we that we work in whether it's sci-fi or fantasy or steampunk or whatever yeah um, you know and so for one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is how illustrators or how we as creatives can take our own ideas and bring those to people that that want to uh, want to hear them or see them and um, support ourselves doing it. Um, sort of independent of working for an art director or a company that has. Um, you know their own agenda, or their own story, their own story that they're trying to tell. Um, I think artists going forward really, 
you know, to stay fresh and to stay engaged, really have to um, sort of work on their own projects as a labor of love, whether they're, you know, making a lot of money off of it or not. The fact that when you're working on your own story and you're, prob you're solving your own problems, it forces you to sort of think about those problems in a different way or with a uh, with an enthusiasm and with a a care that you may not give to someone else's uh, project that could potentially you. just be a job you know yeah this 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 career can only be a long term career if you create your own stuff at some point mm -hmm. yeah. because uh, that is what you own. That stuff mm -hmm. you something that you own. It's your you, baby. It's your baby, and uh, it's something that you can ex explore and and market and make a living out of, without depending on someone else still doing the, the books that you're used to illustrating, or still doing the game that you're famous for, or the people you work with still working uh, mm -hmm. on that industry and all that because we've both worked with our directors for instance that have since uh, left the companies we've worked that, uh, mm -hmm. with them on and they've gone to do other stuff and we never work with them again yeah like and, well, Robert Robert uh, Lazaretti and Karen Jocks uh, for instance um, yeah yeah uh, Mary Kukowski and uh, there's dozens of, of yep. great art directors that have yep. Moved from the the role playing game industry and moved to video games and stuff where they they have different artistic needs mm -hmm. and so we don't get to work with them. John Shendahedi, you know, he's running Art Order now. Uh, yeah. So. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, and uh, the only way you can make sure that you'll have work in 15, 10, 15 years is if you create your own work. Mm -hmm. Because that only depends on you. You stop depending on other people to give you work. Yeah. You yourself work. That's the only way you can make a long-lasting career out mm -hmm. of illustrating. Yep, and it keeps. You or you move to the fine you know, arts. It honestly, it, it keeps you. It, it keeps you fresh. You know, I'm I, I'm going back to uh, back to school currently at uh, Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts just so I can push myself to become a better artist and to think about the how what and why of my practice um, you know no matter what genre or um, you know job uh, job title I have you know whether it's an illustrator for uh, games whether it's a fine artist whether it's you know a graphic novelist um, you know you've got to continually push yourself to stay engaged and to stay fresh and to do new things that uh, uh, you know that propel you forward um, and propel the industry forward. Like I, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to school for the first time now because I never had any art uh, instruction, any formal art instruction. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm attending Smart School, which is an online oh, art yeah. school. Yeah, I think I've heard of that. Yeah, uh, it's the big. Big names in the industry: Rebecca Guay and Todd Lockwood, yeah. Donato uh, Giancola and Dan Dos Santos and Mark Schaff. 
Mm-hmm. You're dropping a lot of names. Let me. Let me. Uh... Yeah, I'm dropping all. I'm dropping all the names. Todd Lockwood, so... who does the the Drist uh, covers. Um, you mentioned Rob Lazaretti a few times, who is probably most famous for what Planescape. Yeah, um, he was uh, one of those. The, the... You mentioned. Like you mentioned John Shendahedi, who was the art director at Wizards of the Coast uh, up until a couple of years ago when he left. He was there for a very long time, and I, and I don't think I know most of the other names. But <laughs> I want, for the listeners' sake, I wanted to make sure that they had an idea of, of who you're talking about. Uh, Dan Dos Santos, he does the covers for the Fables comic book. Oh, uh-huh. In addition to other stuff, he's great. And uh, uh, Scott Fisher does the covers for Angel and Faith. For Dark Horse Comics, and he did a lot of D and D stuff as well, and a lot of great work. And Donata Giancola these days, he most recently, I think the most visible work he did recently was a calendar for Game of Thrones, for A Song of Ice and Fire. And uh, but he's he's huge. He he has a, a really classic style. He like it's like a, a 19th century painter. Painting Lord of the Rings and mm-hmm. The Song of Ice and Fire. So I, it's, it's I, an online. It's cool. Can I drop a name really quick? Uh, yeah. Related to uh, self uh, self published uh, artists that are doing really interesting things. Um, David Peterson publishes Mouse Guard, um, yes. which is an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous graphic novel series, um, sort of in an anthropomorphic. Um, uh, fantasy setting. Um, He's also working and, on the depiction for Wind on the Willows. Yeah, I saw a couple of pieces from that. Well, and that, that and, really and Mouse Mouse Guard is a fantastic RPG too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Cool. So, and, and that all that that whole that all came from a conversation or a question about uh, the process. <laughs> of yeah. Let me go back to the process. So I got uh, the director. I got that direction for uh, Cloud Kill, and then I sketched a couple of. Uh, Different poses because it was all full pages for for fifth edition, and once one of the sketches, which is really sketchy, is approved, I do a couple of uh, color roughs just to settle on a, a color scheme, which is then approved or not or changed, and then I go into the line art. I do the line art really tight to make sure I get the anatomy and uh, the swords and armor and all that uh, done correctly. And once that is done, I do the values, which is the black and white. It's like a black and white painting. Not and are, are, you tight, ten, are you sending in each of these stages to the art director? I'm sending each of these states for Wizards of the Coast because uh, they, they want to have this sort of control uh, over the stage the stages of the, the illustration. I developed this uh, habit with Kate to, you know, always show what your how the work is progressing, because art directors hate surprises. It doesn't matter if it's a good surprise; they hate surprises. Mm-hmm. So I always show, oh, this is what I'm doing. Is it okay? Is it okay? And once she green lights the 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 illustration, the line art, and all that, and then I go into the the final painting, and then I add something here and there, but mostly inconsequential stuff that won't mm-hmm. change much. So, how has the 
process changed uh, in recent years? As I understand it, the, there was this whole creation of an art Bible for 5th edition and all that. How has that changed the process of what you're being asked to create and all of that? Um, from from my angle, uh, we, no, we no longer get uh, generic, oh, uh, this is a human fighter. Mm-hmm. We usually get, this is a female termish fighter. So it it Set, it gives you the gender, it gives you the culture of that character, so you have to go mm-hmm. into the art bible and see what the termish people usually wear, and you have to extrapolate for them from that. For, mm-hmm. uh, for Out of the Abyss, I did a oh, Sword Coast Adventures Guide, so I uh, had to do a tiefling fighter who was... Uh, she was from one of the, the, the human cultures, uh, the one that that looks kind of Russian, with the big uh, furry hats and all that. So mm-hmm. I had, and it didn't have any any armored characters in the art bible. They were all wearing, you know, uh, wool and the, the heavy winter clothing. And I have to come up with what does a fighter from this culture wear. So I had to come up with a chainmail, and it's a tiefling. So how am I gonna make uh, those horns that the tiefling has? work with a helmet. So I had to come up with a hinged helmet that uh, the fighter would put on and then close the hinge like a, an extended nose guard around the horns. Mm. Problem yeah. solved. You know. Do yeah. the changes in the, in the details, does it make the job um, more enjoyable or more difficult? It doesn't really affect it. Uh, okay. it, it does give more to work with. So uh, sometimes you don't have to... Re- Come up with a generic fantasy character. Mm-hmm. You, you you have at least some direct because it's it's kind of frustrating when you get no direction at all, and then you have to feel your way through the illustration, mm-hmm. and then oh no, it, it's not what we want. Can you try something else? So it's uh, it, that it, that's particularly uh, problem uh, problematic when you have an art director that is going to make, um, make or take issue like if they give you a lot of rope and then they take a, take issue with the choices that you make that yeah. can be incredibly bothersome um, but if you are given a lot of rope and you know that you know that's the rope you're given and you can play with it and you know have if you have creative control know you know what to do you know how not what to stay stay away from but um, and you know that that's sort of your baby or you're allowed to uh, kind of take uh, take and run that can be incredibly um, fulfilling you yeah know, a lot of uh, a lot of the overall look and design of the work that I I've done for uh, Wizards of the Coast over the last Five, you know, four or five years. Um, I've been given a lot of free, you know, a lot of rain in the flavor of the maps that I create. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously for you know cultural uh, cultural identity, a lot of times, you know, like Menzo Baron's on the architecture. I love the, that map. I was uh, going to mention that map. <laughs> thank you. You know, a lot of that architecture was inspired by artwork that had come out over the, you know, over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though, you know, a lot of it was very loose, I, I got to build that world and build the details in that map or that landscape sort of out of 
whole cloth in a lot of uh, ways other than, you know, there needs to be a building here and this building needs to sort of look like this. You know, a lot of, a lot of that stuff isn't illustrated anywhere or hasn't been uh, documented anywhere. So each little portion, like when I'm, when I'm building a world or when I'm building a uh, landscape, whether it's an isometric view or top down or close in, um, it's like I'm exploring the world as I'm drawing it. Um, and I find that incredibly enjoyable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I always wished, you know, I kind of wished I was born in the, you know, 18th or uh, 19th century to be able to cross the plains with uh, Lewis and Clark or um, <laughs> to be able to explore these worlds that, you know, I get to draw now. And, you know, it's a lot safer being in my studio than, than uh, trekking <laughs> into unknown lands. But um, Can that, I imagine uh, knowing Tolkien as he was doing Lord of the Rings and oh, yeah. coming up that, with the maps for that? That, that would be incredible, you know. I, I, I love it. That's, you know, I, I grew up on that. Um, being able to inspire a reader's mind's eye and give them a starting point for their own exploration into these worlds that we enjoy, we you know we enjoy so much um, is you know the best part. I couldn't imagine a better better job you know yeah so, so giving, giving wings to people's fantasies is yeah amazing. yeah or the fact like the thing that I love about gaming most and the thing that got me into it when you know when I was younger was sitting around a table like we we would typically meet once a week for whatever gaming group I happened to be in at the time but you'd meet once a week you know some of your best friends would come over um, I would tend I would tend to host but I wouldn't DM but I would you know fix food and grab a, you know a case of beer and just have great nights hanging out with people that I really enjoyed hanging out with and telling stories and crafting collaborative stories in ways that you just don't get anywhere else, whether it's playing RPGs or other, uh, you know, a lot of folks play cards or a lot of folks um, do, you know, do other game systems like tabletop role-playing or online, but there's something about building a collective narrative or a collective story, like basically writing a story with your friends that is so much fun. Um, yeah, it's it's so much closer to just sitting there shooting the shit and just. Well, it's like it's like being around a campfire, you know. You're you're all telling ghost stories, but everybody's got a part to play in the story, and you know, yeah, I, I think it's it's so much fun. It's absolutely a thrill. All right, I've got map questions and I've got diversity questions. Who wants to tackle what first? Um, I'll take a map question. Okay, so I know that you both illustrate and do maps, but you are known in the gaming industry, or at least in D&D, &D, as the map guy. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about the difference between doing illustration versus maps? Is, is maps more science mixed with art, or, or how does that all come down? Well, um, I approach my cartography, like I wasn't trained, quote, uh, you know, air quotes, as a cartographer or as a map maker. So there are guys out there that I know that I chat with a lot that are GIS cartographers or that mm -hmm. work for um, uh, work for you know the government doing <laughs> traditional uh, cartography that's you know maybe not drawn but 
you know, they, they're working with data. I'm not really a data-driven guy, but I've found in cartography a way for me to illustrate and tell stories and present information to readers that gives them something to chew on and it serves as a springboard for, um, for further exploration. But when I'm doing a, uh, when I'm creating a map, there are certain technical uh, aspects that are just different than uh, when I'm doing a uh, scene illustration or a character illustration or what have you. Um, a lot of times there's a much more demanding um, critique process or editorial process mm. in that if I'm working on a map, the player has to be able to utilize that map in a way that makes sense and that works with the game. So, um, you know, details can be much more critical in a map than in a, you know, character illustration or a landscape scene. Um, so there, the artwork that, um, that I create, you know, when I'm doing cartography is gone over with a fine tooth comb in a way that, um, my illustration work isn't. So, you know, I can't just, slip in, you know, my own personal gag name in, mm. you know, somewhere in the uh, border or, you know, somewhere in the far outskirts of a uh, D&D realm or, like, you know, in the Forgotten Realms. And so, whether I think, I've tried that or not, I'm not going to admit yeah. it publicly. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a good example of that in the uh, the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, right? I think I've seen on Ian World the, um, the overlay maps that people have done with your map that's in there. Mm. And um, and some of the older edition maps. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For for instance, yeah. I okay. So well, I don't know how much I can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear I can hear the wizards breathing down your neck. <laughs> oh, they don't listen. It's fine. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of snipers in Seattle right now cocking their fire. <laughs> sometimes, because a property is around for so long. It, sometimes things have to be changed for technical reasons, for gameplay, for playability, or for the broader scope of what's going on in the world. And things like, for instance, the scale of <laughs> the world yeah. has to change accordingly in you know the far off realms of the R&D department and maybe something like that would filter down to the cartographer who's looking at the reference and saying wow something's not jiving here mm. they would in that scenario they might send a uh, send an email off to their art director pointing that out and other than that, I, there's nothing else I can do because it's beyond, you know, decisions like that are beyond my pay grade, but I definitely it, notice when things change. In a situation like that, then, do, do you, they give you a use this map as a reference, or do you um, get to sort of well, all the, average all the times, Because I've been working, for instance, on the Forgotten Realms for so long, a lot of the references that I'm sent 
are my previous artwork. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times my versions that I have on my computer are much higher resolution and, you know, have all the layers and had mm -hmm. sort of my working notes. Um, so you can just take your old one and tweak it and send it back in. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I, I do a new map every single time. Uh, I'm a little crazy that way, but... Uh, the um, the th the thing is like like you want to maintain coherence, uh, coherent you know consistency and uh, um, the coherency of the world and you know because uh, details change with additions you know whether it's the sundering or what you know whether there are storyline changes that necessitate changes to the map. Um, the the final decision making on stuff like that is with Wizards of the Coast, for instance. Sure. Um, but if I have a you know if I find something that they haven't noticed and I point it out, they're very you know they're very receptive. Um, if it's an issue that's an R and D or an editorial issue, you know, I, in that case, I just do what they tell me, um, just because you know there's a lot that's in development that I'm not privy to, you know, I'm a freelancer. So I don't, you know, I get to see, a lot of times I get to see full text before, before a product's published, but that's so that I can um, sort of riff off ideas um, and uh, develop, uh, develop my artwork more fully or more, uh, more concisely to the way that the story's developing. Um, but actually, a lot of times with smaller publishers, um, I'll get the entirety of a story and just an idea for a map, and I'll develop um, develop the map based on the story, based on the full text. Hmm. Um, there's a uh, there's a fantasy um, series by Jim Zubkovich um, called Skull Kickers. Uh, so I've got, uh, um, uh, by I guess bi-monthly. Um, I, I think Skull Kickers has um, ended now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a while ago, but yeah. um, anyways, he uh, he and I talked had talked about doing a uh, doing a map for Skull Kickers uh, for a while, and mm. when the map actually when I first started working on that, he had a rough idea of what the world looked like based on a really quick um, look on one of the um, magazine covers, which was basically just an outline of a continent. And uh, so I took that outline and completely illustrated a um, incredibly detailed uh, detailed world map with lots of little uh, little notations and weird details and sea monsters. And you know, basically the only direction that he gave me was that this is here's the general outline of the main continent. And over here, there should be a city, you know, there should be the, uh, the hometown. Um, and then I had free reign to basically create the world um, based on, you know, just reading, reading the series up to that point and having, having fun with, uh, with the world. So I did all the artwork, and then as a sort of an interesting process... Jim came in, loved, uh, loved the map, didn't change anything on the map, but wrote in all, well, not all, I, I say 
I had a I added a few tags, but he wrote in about ninety to ninety five percent of the location names and stuck in tons of tons of puns and you know very skull kicker esque humor based on uh, based on my artwork and um, essentially wrote or created the narrative portion of the world based on the physical geography that I provided him with. Yeah, it's very cool to have that kind of impact on the storyline, because we usually we usually at the end at the end of the process. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Artists, illustrators, cartographers mm -hmm. were usually the last ones to know. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I wish I had more projects like that. Um, being able to uh, being able to tell a story in a visual way. Um, I I love. You know, it's it's a lot of fun telling other people's stories, and it's a lot. A lot of fun being involved in a uh, property like uh, Dungeons and Dragons or mm -hmm. Forgotten Realms, um, but having uh, having my own say, like I feel like I've been involved with so many fantasy uh, properties, and I'm an avid reader outside of uh, the fantasy science fiction realms. Um, like I finished the border the border trilogy uh, recently. Um, and uh, you know, there's there's themes like um, there's a lot of uh, mythological themes in a uh, author like Joseph Campbell that I would love to incorporate into a broader fantasy realm or uh, my own fantasy world, and that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Um, I don't don't want to talk about it too much, hmm. but I think being able to tell the very interesting stories in a visual way in a uh, long-term sort of linearly narrative way um, and incorporating visual storytelling narrative uh, narrative writing um, role-playing game art and uh, in a graphic novel in a overall sort of graphic novel package um, yeah, I'm really, really excited. I, I can't. I, I don't know if you can tell how excited I am, <laughs> but I, I really, really am. So I have one more question for you, Mike, and then I want to ask Claudio specifically about diversity stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this question comes from conversations I saw on the internet. I think it was after one of the big adventures came out that you did a lot of the maps for, because uh -huh. um, you uh, have the rights to to pu publish and sell your maps, uh, it, it seems, in some of your projects. Yeah. Uh, and people have enjoyed the fact that they could go and buy, like, high-resolution high scanned maps that don't have, like, the DM stuff on it so they yeah. can have, print off maps to use on the, you know, put a grid on it or whatever and use it as their battle maps or, or show it to the players or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then somebody pointed out that, yeah, but if I buy all of the maps that are available for this adventure, I will have spent more money than, than the book costs. Right. <laughs> That's, talk, talk about that a little bit. <laughs> okay. So the uh, the model that I was looking at is the way that um, music is uh, sold. Typically, a, a music download um, is you know between a dollar dollar to two dollars. Mm -hmm. um, the the maps that the maps that I package like. If I were to sell an individual map for like fifty cents, um, so much of that would be taken. Like, there's a certain threshold 
the, you lose a percentage to the store, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, honestly, like you can download a poster size battle map for a buck, uh, you know, a buck seventy-five, and use that battle map for not only for the game, um, like for the adventure that you're running that it's associated with, but you can use it. You know, as a generic battle map um, for any other any other game that you're uh, that you're running, whether it's a homebrew or um, what have you. But the the fact that you can take this high res image that really isn't that expensive um, and print that out either at home or at you know Kinko's down the street and have great looking large format artwork. <clears throat> to play on top of, uh, on top of, or you know, cut it up and present it like a, um, uh, you know, present it in a uh, fog of war, a cloud of war, you know, a fog of war mechanic or whatever you want to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, that it's a it's a new model that I'm still working the kinks out of, but sure? it seems to be working really, really well, and I'm always trying to improve on what I'm actually providing. So. Mm -hmm. You know now the uh, the you know in one uh, one purchase you know with one purchase you get the DMs version you know high res DMs version the high res players version with the grid the players version without the grid um, I'm packaging the uh, so for Ravenloft um, there's a lot of maps in it. And uh, in in addition to being able to um, get them a la carte, you know, individually, I'll be presenting, I'll I'll be packaging them as a uh, single, you know, a single purchase for a much discounted price. Um, just you know, because I know that it's going to be a lot of artwork to purchase at once, so to mitigate some of that cost for the uh, for the uh, player for the DM. Um, I'll uh, definitely like give it a, a big discount if you get did the you whole get, set. All did you get to do any orthogonal maps for Ravenloft? I, I can't talk about... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> One of my favorite things about the original Ravenloft adventure was yeah. those crazy 3D cutaway maps. My uh, my lips are sealed as yeah. to do content. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, those maps for, for Ravenloft by uh, Dave C. Sutherland... Um, those maps for Castle Ravenloft and the maps he did for Pax Tharkas and Dragonlance, mm -hmm. those are the hands down the best uh, D and D maps I have ever seen in my life. Until my Schleicher. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I love I love Mike's maps and I've told him that. Yeah. <laughs> but those two maps are they're just iconic. they're iconic. They 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 created a map style. Mm -hmm. In, well, the, in the early '80s, that's the one. The one you want to know the difference between making maps versus um, my illustration practice. Back to the earlier question, mm -hmm. the biggest difference is that when when I make a map, I know that you know compared to an illustration, the map is if it's a world map or if it's um, you know a battle map, the map is going down on the table and the players in the DM are going to be looking at that artwork throughout the game session for a lot you know much longer time. There's going to be people that are going to pour over the each and every little detail and I put in a lot of detail in my maps because I know that you know that's going to be appreciated. 
and I'm a yeah, little somebody's crazy. Somebody's going to look I, at that I, for like four or five hours at a yeah, stretch time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fact, the the sense of um, gratification that I get knowing that the work that I do is going to be appreciated compels me to do even better work every single time because I know that you know unlike a cover illustration or a character illustration or you know one little piece of artwork amongst lots of other pieces of artwork in a book the map especially if it's a big battle map or you know something that goes down on table that's going to be looked at for a long a much longer period of time and poured over in much more yeah much the only more. thing that compares like the a DM screen yeah that's the only other thing that's going to be looking at if it's a map and a DM screen, like the um, Baldur's Gate uh, piece or the uh, mm -hmm. sword coat, the um, uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking. Uh, the if if it's a DM screen and a map at the same time, that's the best of both worlds. Sure. So, so Claudio, I want to yeah. switch gears a little bit. We talked earlier about about the, how the process for Watsi has changed. You're no longer just getting make a human fighter or whatever you're to, being told, make a, a Tweegan fighter or, or whatever. Um, how has that affected your experience in terms of, of illustrating diversity in D&D? Well, uh, being, being Brazilian, being not from the U.S., um, I'm I, I'm generally aware of uh, of diversity more than than what you are average see, averagely see in uh, in fantasy art. My earliest uh, my earliest work for Fire Dragon was doing counters, and I had to do like fifty human counters mm -hmm. over the course of several uh, uh, books or. I, I did much more than that, but I'm just throwing 50 for Contact Collection 2, say. And I have to to make them very diverse because I have to cover all the bases of what someone might choose as their character. So from the start, I try to include different ethnicities and uh, include a lot of females in my work. One of the most uh, well-received adventures I've worked on was uh, Of Sound Mind, which was written by Kevin Culp for Fire Dragon, and uh, the I did uh, two of, of the four or five uh, main characters that I used in every illustration, I did the two females, a female dwarf and a female human barbarian they were the ones that showed up the most and I always try to you know make those females uh, empowered and and uh, the, the heroines of their own stories instead of just being a you know, cheesecake uh, dressed in chain mail bikinis and all that so from the start I've always tried to incorporate even before I began professionally when I still have had my own uh, website before I moved to to Eric Noah's uh, website before Eric hosted me. Uh, I always try to make my illustrations very diverse because I came from a diverse background. Hmm. So has has the 
the increased in focused in of diversity in fifth edition D and D um, been good for you or just well, it's, largely it's, unnoticed by you because it didn't change much of what you were doing or what? Um, it's it's uh, it's good. It it's uh, it's uh, it's been noticeable, but um, it's always a welcome challenge because it forces you to learn to study and learn how to paint different ethnicities mm -hmm. because uh, a black person's skin reflects light differently than a white person's so you have to take that into account when you're painting a person with uh, African-like features and uh, you have to be more aware of, of how human skin works and uh, what, what kind of, of uh, facial features will come from from different ethnicities being blended into someone with a mixed background and all that. So it makes you aware of the diversity of the ethnicities because you have to study that. So I try to use that not only for humans but also for dwarves, elves, all, all the, the different uh, fantasy races in D&D and all that. You, mm -hmm. I, try to incorporate that kind of diversity to avoid the, the uh, all elves are clones and all orcs are clones, everyone looks the same and all that. Because that kind of dehumanizes the, the characters, the creatures, and that makes them less interesting for the players, for the readers, for hmm. whoever is, is uh, enjoying the, the product. So do you also aim for diversity of body types? I'm in for diverse of body types if they make sense. Sure. Because uh, if you if you have a ranger that's gonna be in the woods for six months at a time mm -hmm. eating berries and not much else, he's not gonna develop like a big belly. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not gonna be a heavy set guy. He's gonna lose weight from all the the exercise his he has to make and the little food. He has he's to not going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger either, you know. I mean, no, he's not going to look like a ripped uh, bodybuilder. He's going to look like someone who's uh, uh, someone who's wiry, who has to endure uh, a different. Uh, uh, he's not uh, repeating the same exercise over and over and over again to develop the muscles in a way a bodybuilder would. He's doing something much more natural, so he's not going to be a huge muscular type guy, but he's going to be wiry and his muscles his muscles are going to be much more defined. So you have to take that kind of... It's part of the storytelling. It's mm -hmm. uh, what uh, the problem solving that Mike was mentioning earlier, is that you have to imagine what kind of situation that character is in, so mm -hmm. you can reflect that in the character's appearance. Yeah, a similar thing goes on uh, when I'm developing, you know, if I have uh, more rain to develop the um, the look of a city or the layout of a uh, city, for instance, I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, usage patterns for roads and, you know, how a city develops organically over time um, or how the, uh, you know, how... We did something together for that Greyhawk article in, in Dragon. When mm -hmm. you did the map for Hoshosh. Yeah, yep, yep. Which I wrote I wrote the article and I did the 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 sketch I sketched the map 
It's one of my uh, favorite pieces, by the way. And you did the orthogonal look of the of the of the town, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I in developing the story, uh, it it was uh, because it's Greyhawk. I love Greyhawk and Greyhawk rules. Yeah. But uh, no Greyhawk. I went back to the to everything that was written about Rohoshot, which was not much, but it is uh, it was a thousand year old town. It was one of the oldest towns in in that part of of uh, Earth, and I had I tried to make the town look like it developed over a long period of time. So the the whole process of beginning like a military outpost and growing from that into a trading outpost, and then mm-hmm. a town with having, a shanty, having sort of a shanty town developing outside of the having city. a shanty town from the from the the refugees of the giant invasion and they're not gonna all just move into the, the a walled city mm-hmm. the, the, yep. the authorities are gonna keep people that are coming in outside and then trying to you know find uh, places for those people to live in yep. which is kind of a, a commentary of, of the world we're living in right right now with a, lots of immigrant crisis and refugees yep. pouring into into Europe and all that so the the town kind of set up a, 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 a shanty town outside and tried to uh, uh, bring those people in as much as they could or send them to other places where they could be you know better uh, taken care of. So uh, we, well, we all these to... issues like that are what you know can give a uh, give a game a sense of, you know a, a life and a sense of place. In a way that uh, doesn't exist if you don't think about those sorts of things, and yeah. you know, whether whether it's the look and feel of a ranger in the forest, you know, looking authentic, or a um, a city feeling authentic because you know it's it's a city. For instance, for Hoshosh, it's a city between two <clears throat> huge forests. Right. So it, one would imagine that most buildings would be made of wood. Yeah. Yep. So we we have to take those things into account. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I have dominated a lot of the the questions. Uh, I have one more sort of wrap it up question, but I want to give Sam a chance to say get a word in edgewise if he has any questions for you. Well, I got the first question, so uh, and every question <laughs> I've had, every question, every question I've had, I've had it in my head, and I've thought, ooh, when there's a gap, I'll ask it, and then it, you guys keep talking, and you end up answering the question. <laughs> so uh, let me tell you a little, a, a quick anecdote. Uh, uh, we've t- we've spoken about the the process and all that with the art order, and uh, something happened that was uh, really unlike the usual process, which is, uh, I'm glad it ended up well, because uh, I was I was bummed by it halfway through the, the whole thing. When I was working on uh, Princess of the Apocalypse, there's, in the final chapter about the other worlds of, of D&D, there's a piece I did for Eberron, with a Warforged and a... Uh, 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 an airship and being attacked by a giant vulture with a rider with crossbow. That image, I, I like that image a lot, but that was not the image that was in the art order. 
the the image in the art order was just a, a, a landscape of uh, Ondoyer, I think, with the with the lightning rail going by the distance and all that. It was very bucolic. And I did this. I did the the sketch for that, and that was sent over to to Watsi. And the piece, uh, it it was a pretty picture, but it just wasn't exciting enough. So there, there uh, Watsi decided to you know, oh, let's maybe not do that. We don't need that illustration, all that. And I was uh, kind of bummed because. It's Eberron. I want to illustrate something with Eberron on it. <laughs> Shout out to Keith Baker. And uh, so I asked Rich Baker, who was uh, who's one of the writers for Sasquatch, who was handling the art uh, directing for, for Sasquatch for Prince of the Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. I want to try something. And I did a quick sketch of uh, an image and I tried to cram as many Eberron things in it as I could. <laughs> and that was sent over to Watsi, and they approved it, and I did, and it's the image that, that's in the book. But uh, I was, it was really funny, because I managed to grasp that illustration out of the, the, the fangs of cancellation and bring it back <laughs> into the book. Well, that's I, awesome. I, uh, I did probably... 20 full pages of um, cutaway uh, and isometric uh, landscape illustrations and buildings and, you know, really close in what I, you know, it, gorgeous um, story seed illustrations for uh, the DMG, the 5th edition DMG. And mm -hmm. God, like, I'd say half to three quarters of them got cut for space. So, and then the ones that were included were cut up and used in all kinds of different ways. But, uh, yeah. Are you allowed to, to sell those now? Yeah, yeah. There, a lot of them are on uh, on my website. Go. Great. Um, yeah, I, I, I did a, a Ravenloft adventure. I wrote a Ravenloft adventure for fourth edition, uh, which is made up of of. Uh, it was funny because it was a I didn't product have that maps for that. I think yeah. you did maps for that because it was for a different product that ended up being removed from the pipeline. Mm -hmm. And they had the maps, they had the illustrations, and they sent those over to several uh, writers to try and you know, see if you have anything to use these on. <laughs> and so, and so I, I, uh, We've was, got art, make an adventure. Yeah, <laughs> I was working with uh, on the, the Ravenloft adventure with uh, Chris Perkins, and uh, I had this folder filled with illustrations from that what's ended up not using in different products mm. and maps and all that and hey I want to use this I want to use this I want to use this and I selected <laughs> a hell a lot of maps a lot of illustrations and uh, uh, ended up writing Fair Barovia with with Chris Man. and uh, it had one of your maps a map you did for Valaki I think yep yep which was well, a lot of fun. All right, so we we are uh, well past our normal time, uh, but I haven't been willing to to end the fantastic conversation. Uh, but one last sort of wrap it up question, and then we'll uh, we'll get out of here. Um, you've talked a lot about the stuff that you have done uh, and that you're doing and what have you. Um, what do you wish, in terms of of D and D work, what do you wish you could do more of? 
or do you know maybe maybe Mike wants to do some more illustration and not just maps or whatever. Uh, so what do you want to do more of for for D and D? You know, sky's Ooh. the limit. Uh, I would love to build a new world for D and D. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I would love in whether it's um, whether it's working in a uh, in an R and D capacity or as a writer and artist. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail. Maybe that's saying too much. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how the next uh, few years shapes up. That's new original good. world, huh? My original, your own original. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how like we'll see how things go over the next couple of years. Okay. If not well, for D and D, then for some. I open for that. I say there's an OGL now. You could uh, you could still publish it. We'll, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Well, I'm I'm gonna basically the the world that I'm working on right now is kind of the thing that I really wanna. It, it it'll be my magnum opus. Um, okay. I think in a lot of ways. And and right. when you start working on it, you let us know, and we will no, uh, get the word it's out. In, it's been in the works. It, it, it's in the works right now, but I I don't want to. Yeah. When you're ready. Much until I've got. Is something complete to show. Um, anyways, when you're when yeah. you're ready, you let us know, and we'll uh, point the way. Absolutely. All right, Claudio. Um, for me, man, uh, I don't know. I wanna do, I wanna do more dragons. <laughs> I only did uh, I did a Draculich for Sword Coast Adventures Guide, uh -huh. and I did a Chimera, but I haven't done a, an actual dragon yet for D and D, an official D and D dragon. <clears throat> I'm a D&D book. I want to do one. I believe yeah. I have at least one of your dragons up on my wall in my Yes, paper. but I, I did I I, <laughs> I did that for for Ian Publishing. Uh-huh. Uh, for uh to slay a dragon and I'm pretty proud of that dragon hoarding his coins and all that. It's uh, uh it's the 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 art order I got from Russ Morrissey was just paint me your version of Smoke. And that's what came out. That's yeah, I will point out that I'm not exactly unbiased in our discussion here. I have um, two artists currently on my wall in the game room, uh, and it's it's the two of you. Uh, <laughs> artwork that I bought from you guys at Gen Con last well, year. Although I do have the the sundering uh, pencil or, or black and white artwork too. I don't know how much of that might have been. Um, I don't know, Claudio. Did you work on any of, the, any of those character sketches? Those are all from novel covers, though. No. no, not not the not yeah. from from the Sundering. I but yours. Edition, I did just the core books, and then I yeah. did uh, the Prince of the Apocalypse. Yeah. E either way, yours is the only art that I've paid for. That art I got for free. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I actually I just I just thought of it. I just thought of an additional answer to the question. Uh, as far as like what would be our my dream job, I kind of already. Got, well, that's sort of in the process right now. Uh, doing the doing the map of Faerun, um in the amount of detail that I've actually been doing of that was mm. a huge, huge joy for me. Um, yeah. And uh, we'll see, you know, how that develops uh, over the next uh, couple of years. Um, but uh, just the one that I've that I've worked on already was such a blast. Yeah, and it was a great. Um, I think I mentioned this to you uh, online that. It was a fantastic sort of way of it captures the feel of the old like 
heyday of the Forgotten Realms, mm -hmm. and yet still clearly using like modern aesthetics and what have you. Like it doesn't feel old, but it feels like it's in that evolution. Yeah, yeah, so. it totally was. I mean, ever since I've been working on uh, maps for D and D, that's always been a consideration. Like how mm -hmm. to bring it up to speed contemporarily, but still maintain that flavor and, you know, look and feel that is D&D, mm -hmm. especially the Forgotten Realms. Well, I hope you have some of those maps available at Gen Con this year. I might have to get some more art. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> a lot of stuff from uh, the new Ravenloft adventure. There you go. Very good. Very good. I'll, I'll, you're going to have a table again at Gen Con this year? Absolutely. All right. Yep. Uh, well, then Can I think we yeah. I'll be there. And you and the two of you will be there, and Sam will not be there. Ah, oh, Sammy! <laughs> I know, can't help it. Well, I'll I'll, I'll drink a I'll drink a beer in your honor, or a shot. There you or go. Excellent. <laughs> and All Mike, right, so think... for a beer at Gen Con, eh? Yeah. There you go. So I think that's going to be the end of this episode. All right. Well, we want to thank Mike Schley and Claudio Posis and Noble Knight. And all of our wonderful listeners for supporting our show by using the affiliate links when you shop at Amazon and D&D &D Classics. We should give Mike and Claudio an opportunity to talk about where people can go to find them or to talk to them or to purchase some of their awesome artwork or what have you. Well, I would have, but you didn't put that in the script. So, uh... Well, uh, <laughs> can't, can't deviate from the script. <laughs> so you can uh, you can see my uh, general portfolio at mikeschley.com. That's M-I-K-E-S-C-H-L-E-Y.com. Or you can go to mikeschley.zenfolio.com. Just add Z-E-N-F-O-L-I-O. Um, .com, and you can get lots of uh, downloadable maps and prints, and uh, feel, feel free to email me and say hi. I respond to uh, questions or suggestions really, uh, really quickly, and um, yeah, love to hear from you. Um, you can find me at my uh, website. It's uh, claudiaposas.com, C-L-A-U-D-I-O-P-O-Z-A-S, and there you'll find links for my uh Zenfolio store, where I sell prints of my D&D uh, artwork, my Lord of the Rings artwork for Fantasy Flight, and uh, also a link for my Society6 store, where I have not only some uh, art, uh, art prints, but I also have uh, uh, mobile armor, phone armor t-shirts, and my armor t-shirt, armor yeah. t-shirt, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, dwarven plate, chainmail, and all that printed on T-shirts. It's yeah, all really cool. Are you, are you gonna have those? Are you gonna have those at Gen Con? Am I? The, I can't the sell apparel at the table. Oh. Uh, it was just for 2D art, so there's no way we can sell that, those. But could you, uh, could you sell T-shirts out of your hotel room? Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's cheaper if you guys just buy them buy from the store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah because yeah. Uh, there are times when the shipping and handling is uh, free, so okay. it, it's actually more expensive for me to purchase those. Oh. The, shipping down, the shipping downstairs is really expensive. Sure. I had to pay an import tax, and mm. uh, when I bought three of those T-shirts, one for me, oh, one wow. for my wife, one for my son, so. Uh, and at my website, you can also find links for my Facebook and for my Twitter. 
and come by and say hi. I usually post some artwork on Facebook and all that before it goes on the on the website. And, and sometimes he does his awesome uh, five-minute sketches. That's my favorite. No, it's ten-minute sketches. Ten-minute sketches, yeah. <laughs> ten minutes. Yeah. Let's be reasonable. <laughs> Let's be reasonable, man. Ten minutes. Right, you all kinds of superheroes and things too, right? Yeah, I do some stuff with superheroes and all that. And sometimes I do stuff that is inspired by D&D, but it's not official D&D artwork. Like mm -hmm. a, a vampire of the mists that lives in a castle with a raven on its name. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> stuff like that too. Very good. Cool. I'll find it on my website. Well, and that's where you can find them. If you want to find us, you can email me at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And that is episode 259. Yeah. We got artistic. We drew some dragons. We drew some maps in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm off the wall.